Hey everyone, it's Patricia. Welcome back to the Bad Chinese Teacher Podcast. This week's episode is a super exciting one as we're talking about something that doesn't seem to have much immediately to do with language learning, but is something that really captured my heart as a student and makes up so much of my life as a teacher today. Model Congress was one of, if not the largest on-campus clubs at my high school when I was a student. It's a political debate club, not unlike Model United Nations or Mock Trial, but what was interesting about Model Congress at my high school was how many people were involved. Over 2,000 students have passed through the program since it started in 1994, which is an extraordinary amount given the smallish size of our school, as well as the idea that interest in politics and debate, especially in high school, tends to be pretty niche. Given that, what made Model Congress so extraordinary at our high school was how it turned political engagement and civic awareness from a niche interest to a mainstream part of school culture, which, as far as preserving, you know, the democracy of a nation is concerned, is important. But as an educator now, what blows my mind thinking back on my high school Model Congress experiences was how student-led it was and how the whole thing really ran on this self-built, self-propagated system of peer mentorship and leadership of students encouraging each other and pushing each other towards greater excellence. Three years ago, I started a Model Congress club at my current school, whose student population is really quite tiny compared to my former high school. Before we attended our first conference at Yale in 2017, I had my doubts that Model Congress would really succeed at my school and have the same kind of ubiquity and accessibility that my high school program had. I was proven wrong. In the past three years, our program has grown from just 13 kids at that first conference to 45 kids today. Almost a quarter of the entire high school is involved. Over this Thanksgiving break, I had a chance to sit down with a bunch of friends from high school to talk about our Model Congress memories and the impact it's made in our lives in the 10 years since we graduated. There are a couple of familiar voices on this episode. Gio Esposito from episode 2 and Rachel Casella from episode 6 both joined in, as well as a few new ones, Kylie Brogel, Katrina Perito, and Nicole Hobbs. You can check out their bios on the show notes for this episode at badchineseteacher.com. They are truly doing extraordinary things, and I am so privileged to be able to share this space with them. And of course, special thanks goes out to Jim Patella, who founded Model Congress at Brantford High School and served as our faculty advisor, and Gus Peterson as well, who was, for many of us, our 8th grade history teacher and our very first introduction to civic awareness, meaningful political engagement, and the Model Congress experience. This is a special two-part episode. There was just way too much to cover in just one. The second hour of our conversation will be posted in two weeks, but for now, here's part one of this very special Model Congress reunion episode. With no further ado, enjoy. here with Gio and Rachel and a whole host of other people. Um, we are a group of six today, and I think with the amount of memories between all of us, there's just a lot to talk about. So um, we all graduated high school together 10 years ago this year, which is really crazy to think about. Um, how old do you guys feel right now? <laughs> Your bones creaking? <laughs> do you feel, uh, you know, AARP has started sending you notifications? <laughs> My brother actually has an AARP credit card um, because apparently you get discounts from that if you're not like. If you're not an old person. No, if you're not a an non-senior old person. Non senior AARP membership. <laughs> if you. If, I think that's like very peak millennial. Like. <laughs> You know what I mean? Um, but we are we are gathered here today to talk about Model Congress, which we all did, um, amongst other things, together in high school. But I think this is one thing that we all, all six of us did amongst how many people in our class were involved in Model Congress. Is there like a rough, can we estimate even a number? 100. 50, 60, 50, at 60. Least from our class of 300 people. Yeah. So that's a pretty decent chunk. So I do, the impetus for this is because I currently advise Model Congress in my school. Um, our school is obviously a lot smaller, but I think this year we have about 
no, 40 kids involved. And our graduating, one, one class size at my school is about 40 kids. So it's about a quarter of the wow. high school. But I want to say that, like, proportionate to... Um, to what happened at BHS. What's really interesting is that if you go to Model Congress conferences elsewhere, usually it's like there is a set of Model Congress kids, and that set is like usually a small handful of seven or eight. Uh Um, But Model Congress at at Brantford High School seemed a lot more ubiquitous than than in other places. Um, What kind of people, like, I mean, you know, we are a pretty diverse crowd here with people who are doing medicine, with people who are teaching, people who are involved in politics, people who are involved in science. Um, But if we could describe, like, the typical model Congress person at BHS, could we? Not really. I mean, like, you know, what what do you think drew people into doing this in the first place? All the pictures in that wing. Yeah. 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 So, for reference, it was, like, in the hallway, it was... I don't even know if you're even allowed to do this. It's almost as if, like, Patella, our advisor, just kind of monopolized one entire wall. It's a fire hazard. <laughs> oh, yeah. To do that. Oh, yeah, you shouldn't have that much paper sticking up. Um, but Every that, like, inch. I think, I remember, like, because some of us did it in eighth grade, right? I remember yeah. there was one year where, like, we Mr. got Peterson. snuck into, mm-hmm. yeah, with Mr. Peterson, um, we got snuck into Columbia Model Congress, which is a one-day conference, to kind of get a taste for what it was mm-hmm. like. And seeing the pictures of, like, all the cool upperclassmen dressed up in grown-up clothes talking about... I mean, there's something about that to your 13-year-old sensibility that really draws you in. But, like, having done that, um, you know, what... Well, let's start with this. What does, like... Most people have heard of Model UN, um, which is, like, a role-play debate club sort of thing. Model Congress, as the name suggests, is that, except with Congress. Um, And so a lot of people would say that, like, Model Congress has also this, like, civics education... Um, you know, domestic politics oriented like angle to it that Model UN does not. As a point of reference, so Model Congress uh, conferences are multi-day conferences, usually four days long, um, mostly for high school students. I don't really think they do this at the collegiate level as much. No? I think they only host. Yeah, so it's mostly so it's very intentional, like a high school sort of like uh, activity. Um, four-day conference run by usually undergrad students at Yale or Harvard or Princeton, um, and students come. And they take on the roles of Congress people, and they write bills, and they debate the bills um, using the same parliamentary procedure that they would use in regular Congress, or kind of like a simplified version of it. Um, and then, you know, they uh, pretend to be uh, lawmakers for four days. And the idea is to kind of get kids involved in the civic education process, but also, you know, it's just one of those things that, like, you get to stay overnight with your friends for four days and do fun things and pretend like you're really important for a little while. Um, did any of you guys do a debate in college after? After the fact, yeah, yeah, I did two years of mock trial, uh, which was definitely run in an odd way um, at at Providence, just because you'd basically for collegiate mock trial, you'd have one year would be the same case for everybody. So we would go to one conference in March, and there would be colleges that have done the same case about twelve times, and they would just bury us um, because they had heard everything. So we didn't really take it very seriously. I don't know, having the background of talking, being able to give speeches and just the familiarity with language, I guess that translated over from Model Congress to Mock Trial. Plus we did D-Court with, mm-hmm. at Harvard Model Congress, which was kind of like Mock Trial, or really was Mock Trial. Mm. I think amongst all of us, there's only Nicole, who now currently works in politics. The rest of us are, you know, not, not, not working in law or anything like that. But, Nicole, can you tell a little bit about, like, what you do now? I think for me, there's a very direct line Mm -hmm. between my experiences in Model Congress and high school to 
what I did in college as well to what I do now. I went from doing Model Congress in high school to my kind of main extracurricular um, activity in college was with the Yale College Democrats, where I held a variety of different leadership positions with them and did a lot of work, particularly on the campaign side, um, which is not a side you see in Model Congress. There you are, you've been elected and you're just going to be legislated. <laughs> Imagine. You don't have to, you have to commit. Although I think at Harvard, at Harvard you, you elect a president. president. Yeah. Yes. So and there was lobbyists, too. Yeah, there was yeah, sure. yeah, um, and then post-college, now I've, I've worked on several different campaigns post-college, and now I run a political organization that fundraises for Democratic state legislative candidates. So for me, Model Congress was really the thing that sparked an interest in politics has mm. now become my career. Yeah, I feel like a lot of teachers, when they we go into this thing, it's kind of like, um, you know, you kind of start sussing out, like, who are your future, I don't know, presidents, you know, who are your future lawyers? Um, but the reality of it is that, like, you know, I think we are talking about this before, that kind of life gets in the way, but you still carry those things with you. Rachel, you uh, you coach speech and debate at your high school as well. Like, you know, you're mostly a teacher. Yes. Everyone knows that. <laughs> uh, but you also coach speech and debate. And how does, like, uh, how did your experiences in high school kind of inform that? Well, I started Model Congress my junior and senior year. And I wish that I had started it earlier. I think we might touch on this later. That yeah. I was a little bit intimidated, and I saw all the pictures and all of the posters, and I was like, oh my gosh, like those are like really, really smart kids or really, really cool kids, and I, I don't know if I fit in there. But finally, junior and um, senior year, I gave it a go. And I think that kind of changed my life forever because I think I'm pretty good at arguing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but once you have like a target, an audience, a role, and a purpose it kind of like helps you find like find that that balance and and have a clear coherent um like stance and argument and you can like really be clear in communicating your point so i think it just helped me become a better public speaker and now i use that every day as a teacher you know i'm constantly speaking in front of um, an audience and i'm the department head so i have to talk in front of boards of ed and i really am not like super nervous i have that like perfect amount of nervousness that kind of like gets you motivated to go um and I think having that experience in high school set me up to just feel more confident at university I participated in two Harvard model UN conferences that opened my eyes to like a whole different like cultural perspective because mm -hmm. there were so many different universities from all over the world that, you know, you saw somebody from France who was representing a country in Africa, you saw people from Latin America who were representing, like, European countries, and it was just wild. That actually blew my mind because we had been participating in mostly, like, American-style debates, and then even, like, your cohort were from the United States, mm -hmm. so they won't... Everybody had the same political perspectives, but once you finally had people who were from, like, a communist country mm. having to represent a democratic one it was insane now I went to Quinnipiac and we had a really small group so I always had we had the bottom of the barrel countries <laughs> <laughs> wait what did you get what was like I got Molly experience? one year nice and I'm so grateful <laughs> I think I had to talk about it was like on an energy uh, some sort of NGO for environmental protection and um, I had to do like a lot of research and I absolutely loved it and my whole point was like not using Africa as a dumping ground and like I got up and made some good speeches and I was like the low, low, lowest of the low but it was a really good experience and you know getting up in front of whether it's 20, 100 or 1000 people 
will help you in whatever you pursue in your future mm -hmm. career life it doesn't matter it's yeah. awesome i think every single person um should participate in these speech competitions even um in model congress you know patella you know junior year like we had to write a bill okay what do we write it about you decide you mm. figure it out i'm like oh i have absolutely no idea okay we'll get cracking so it wasn't like you know i think he threw us to the wolves in the best possible way mm. you really had to like do a lot of research on your own and like learn by doing and again that's the best best way to go yeah, I think one thing that, like, now that I've been talking to other advisors, our program was very quite, really quite different because a lot of coaches are very involved in this. And they can afford to do that if you have a team of eight kids, yeah. right? Um, Patella very much was just kind of like, hey, I'm the logistics guy and I take lots of photos. And it was a lot of student leadership, which mm -hmm. I know I wasn't my senior year, but you guys were. Mm -hmm. um, what did that kind of look like? Because you guys had a lot of responsibility in terms of not just, like, I don't know, keeping people alive. I think, like, some of you chaperone on a trip, which is like, yeah, 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 kind of crazy <laughs> to think about. Um, but also being responsible for, like, I don't know, bringing in little freshmen who are like, what's the deal? Yeah. Um, what do you guys remember from that, that, like, teaching process? So... Um, I work in medicine. Um, I'm a physician assistant and probably am the most removed from the typical political lawyer kind of atmosphere. Um, and totally going off of what Rachel said, I think there's invaluable aspects to Model Congress that can seemingly not have anything to do with your future careers, even if you know in high school, I don't want to do this. A lot about speaking and being able to speak to either my patients, I feel really comfortable doing that, even about hard topics or to hospital boards when I'm presenting on some new policy that I'd like to see instituted. Because there is politics in absolutely every aspect, whether it's government politics or, you know, career politics. But I think kind of one of my most memorable things from Model Congress, there's a ton, <laughs> um, as being one of the presidents, you kind of run these practice sessions. You know, it wasn't the administrator or the advisor doing it. And you are working hands-on with uh, underclassmen, and everyone kind of knew that I'm super friendly, but, like, I wasn't good at the bill writing. I was good at the talking and helping and working through things with others. And at our last um, banquet of, of our senior year, we always had to do these surveys because Patella wanted to know absolutely every thought on every aspect. Data-driven. And, like, to the... <laughs> you know, name a person and an experience. And like, you knew you couldn't just be like, I had fun at Yale. Like mm. he would come and seek you out. And I remember one of them was which president was most helpful to you and a varying amount of like boxes you checked off. And at that banquet, uh, Mr. Patella was like, so um, you could check off a lot of people, but I have to say every single one had at least your name on it in some way. Wow especially for the freshmen, and I was like, well, yep, I did too, a lot of that with them. <laughs> and that was really what I took from Model Congress was the leadership and, like, personal interaction aspect because you wouldn't come to me to help write your bill. That was just a terrible idea. But if you no. had struggles with standing up and presenting yourself or, like, getting rid of the nerves or how to kind of approach something, like, that was something that I was much better at, which is a real aspect of this mm. that may not always get thought about, but totally changed the way that I present myself and incorporate that into like my daily life, which is medicine, which you may not think has a lot to do with it, but 
totally does. Mm-hmm. And I think the other part of that is, in addition to all of the work, I mean, we would have practices several days a week where we'd start with the bill writing and then move on to where the presidents were chairing sessions. We also had our own, you know, we were going right. to these conferences and mm. participating ourselves. So I think that's another aspect of leadership that it teaches you is the ability to both be a leader and be working with other people, but also having to manage your own work portfolio as well. Because we had a very intense model Congress load ourselves senior year in terms of the conferences that we took on and the prep that went into that. And I think that's another skill that for all of us is carried Mm. into our lives in the future is how to balance those roles. Mm. Should we like set up what a kind of meeting looked like when you guys were chairing? Yeah, because I actually, so I, I, I love hearing about this because I wasn't super involved in Model Congress my senior. I think the only two conferences that I went on, one was like I was the only senior and the other was Harvard, which was mm-hmm. uh, Decor. Decor, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, what did uh, what did prep look like for, like, from your guys' did you guys meet as, like, a board or what did that look like? Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, meetings as a board, quote-unquote, would be more prep. like standing in his office before or after, you know, standing in his classroom before or after the meetings. Generally, like, the conferences would have about two months of prep the first month would be like researching and writing your bill, and then the second month would be actually practicing what it would be like to be in a committee session with probably four rooms of mm-hmm. 20, yeah. 20 like people two at a time. Two to with three two, presidents. With two, yeah, like two presidents in a room to chair. So you'd have probably 80 kids attending on any Tuesday or Thursday night or whatever it was, and the seniors would be running the meetings so we and every once in a while i think too we'd give up a speech we'd give a speech you know if, if it was a some you know things that people weren't really ready on or it was a group of younger students we'd kind of go up to give a speech and show people how to do it um yeah i mean we kind of would have like our unofficial you know how did everybody do tonight how did this kid do and you know not to I don't want to take away from what Patel did because he did do a ton behind the scenes, you know, with all the fundraising yeah. and the administrative and the logistics stuff. Um, I think he picked a good group of people every year. He knew who he could trust to show people the ropes so he didn't have to be so hands-on about it. And he empowered us. And empowered yeah, us to do it, absolutely. Um, but he did take a really specific look at a lot of kids, you know, especially the kids who he knew were um, – people that he maybe quote unquote may have been grooming for or at least putting on the track for leadership positions in the future mm-hmm. but he would say oh how did this kid do how did that kid do and it was not like he was just checked out he was definitely yeah and it, maybe we only saw that because we were in the inner circle but, um <laughs> also for yeah. context i think it to really understand mr patella if you haven't met him he really always has a serious demeanor and he never called you by your first name (laughs) you were always your last name and yeah you were snapping and he was always fast paced and he treated you like an adult and that was always across the board you know he never treated you like a student and so when he would do things there was also no like asking and no sugarcoating so You'd have 50 to 100 kids in a classroom, and it'd be prep day, and he'd be like, Hobbs, Esposito, you're in room two. Burrito, Brogel, you're in room three. And uh, these 10, you're going over here. And it was never, well, Mr. Patel, I want to be in someone else's room. You were an adult. You got what you got. You went, and you did the work. And you knew that at the end of that, someone was going to go and relay how things went. And it really, I think, made you kind of like grow up because there was expectations and because he treated you consistently like an adult you started to act like one and that was something i saw in hindsight i'm not necessarily yeah. sure i saw it yeah. in the moment but uh but you also had to like kind of command respect in a like because a lot of the times you were in charge of a room 
like let's say 20 kids who you're maybe max three years older than mm. and you're telling them to be quiet we have to focus blah 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 you had to know parliamentary procedure really well because right. you're trying to get them to understand how it's going to be like in committee and obviously it's like a bunch of high school kids at the end of the day like it can very quickly dissolve into people just being like blah, 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 talking about blah, blah blah and having to get everybody focused and be like no listen to me like we're starting we have a time constraint we have to be right. out of here at a certain time so like you kind of had to be like command respect without being mean mm. <laughs> or sometimes being mean if it was necessary like i was mean sometimes but but yeah i mean i think that we were like when we had model congress practice sessions like we were running the practice sessions and then at the end we would go and we'd be like okay yeah i had so-and-so in my room like they gave a really great speech or like this person was kind of in the corner like talking with their friend the whole time like you know i think we need to like talk to them or whatever mm. so Right. Yeah, we had a lot of responsibility for the for the sessions. And to Katrina's point, because we were running the sessions and had to know parliamentary procedure really well, a lot of the time I'd get into the committee and know more than the college, yeah, the over college kid <laughs> who was yeah. there doing. And yeah. you, I, sometimes you'd get frustrated and you'd have to kind of stow that away uh, because you didn't want to, you're not going to like, Anger, you know, anger the chair by being like, "Well, actually, it wasn't a point of parliamentary procedure; it was a point of parliamentary inquiry." Come on, man. Um, yeah. Well, as a former like assistant coach, the whole model is absolute gold because you did have that time to prepare, and then you had that time to be put on the spot. And there's nothing better than learning by doing. And on the opposite side, so it was my peers who were my exact same age running it, and you guys really killed it with the parliamentary procedure it was so official there was no downtime there was no wasted time um that's where i wanted to like our club to get we didn't have as many people um but it was it was perfect and if we're being honest um especially this is a group of friends that we did a lot of other things like patty said before um it makes you parliamentary procedures a little bit empowering especially if you know it and you would find yourself using words like decorum <laughs> in your friendly nature when you're having like lunch and everything would get out of hand i'm calling decorum or we're going to lay this on the table yeah. now and resume tomorrow at lunch and like those are really fond memories about how we interacted with each other mm. which you know, we laugh at now, and yet I could still probably throw one of those in there, and it would bring you right back to yeah. to that time with your friends feeling really important and really grown up. Yeah. I think that's one thing that a lot of people will say about high school debate. I mean, on the from like a grown up, like a stinky old grown up, like you know, all these young whippersnappers. It's really cool to see kids like do adult like things. But I think you know, both Rachel and I could probably relate to this. But being kind of in the middle, um, on the one hand, we're constantly impressed by what young people do and the way that they handle themselves. But on the other hand, we're like we're not that far detached from that age either. And I don't know when I started. Uh, Model Congress at my school, I think the one thing that was always in the back of my mind was, at its core, Model Congress is great, but it's also political satire. Uh, because what it really is, it's a bunch of, like, teenagers who are, like, pretending to be, you know, politicians. In business trying, casual. In business casual, like, dr dressed up like grown-ups, trying to solve the world. Like, what would happen if we let a whole bunch of kids into a room and told them to, you know, achieve world peace? Um, and so, but I think, like, what you're saying about how it does cause you to, you know, as a, as a teenager, 16, 17 years old, to be a little more adult-like, you know, um, to, to kind of take that on. I see that in my own kids as well, and I was really, I did not expect that. Um, and did you see that in your kids as well? I you think that Rachel? if we put kids in a room and told them to solve world peace, they will rise to the occasion. Mm. Whatever, wherever you set that bar is honestly 
I have been proven time and time again, the higher you set the bar, the more times the expectation is met by students. And we did a lot of mock trial, and that was something we didn't do at Brantford, besides our decourt team. Um, and I was actually just like in awe, like year after year after year for cases that, you know, students had learned backwards and forwards or even on the fly, and they like demanded attention and they kind of, you know, won cases better than when I was a juror. I was a juror on a murder trial and, um, you know, actually came into that. In real life. In real life. Oh, were okay. any of in you ever, I, you were on a jury once. Yes. I was on a jury once. Were any of no. you ever slipped up a jury? I've never been called. Really? So I have to say that I have seen high school students, like, walk in a courtroom with more confidence and speak more clearly um, than actual lawyers for this actual trial I was part of. Yeah, yeah. I have and been, that is no exaggeration. The same experience. I, the case that I was on was not a murder trial. It was like a domestic abuse one. So you would think that there is a level of seriousness to all of this, but like I remember sitting in the um, in the courtroom being like, this is like watching D court, like a really like a bad. bad. <laughs> Decourt thing, and on the to be fair, right? You know, if you're a high school student, like, and and mock trial is your thing, like, you prepare your whole life for this sort of thing, you know. Whereas for a, a career lawyer, like, it's this like is, a day to day, exactly, right? It's just Tuesday, yeah, yeah, right. And so if you do a bad job, well, whatever, you know. Uh, <laughs> next time, I think the case, the case that I was on got thrown out because it was so bad. Wow, so, wow, it was so. Bad. As much as we can call it political satire, you know, we're grooming the youth in a way to be who they're going to be and to like achieve the goals that they want to and like hone the skills that they're going to need on a daily basis. So I think it's more real than most other high school activities. Well, and also like, I mean, maybe this is just a case for me, but I feel like when you're in high school, like you're starting to have political opinions, but they're mostly formed by the fact that like your parents are Democrats or your parents are like something else. And you're like, I want to be, yeah, I want to be something else. else. Yeah. So like do being a model of Congress where you have, maybe you have an idea. Like, I think I remember I did a bill about, um, funding foreign language education, which is something that was important to me and made me kind of like that was an opinion I had. It's not really like that that political, but I had to. If writing a bill about it forced me to consider, okay, but that means this, this, and this, and like actually think through the mm. consequences of my ideas, and made me like, in terms of politics, made me like question. Okay, I feel this way maybe because my parents are like that, or maybe that's because of like where I grew up. But how how does that get implemented? in reality, right? Like, I have this political opinion, what does that actually mean? And you're kind of, like, forced to confront that when you're in conferences, too. Mm. Um, and I remember, like, later on, I went to school in D.C., and at one point I was there during the government shutdown, and I remember thinking, like, if this was a model Congress, like, we would have been able to get this done. Because it also, I mean, obviously there's extended resources, right? You're there, that's what you're there to do. It's, like, it's fun. You're not going to leave committee and just be like, okay, well, forget it. Like, you know, we're, we're just going to leave, we're going to leave here without a bill to present. Like, no, it's not going to happen. But I remember being like, yeah, I mean, I feel like most of the people I knew who were presenting a bill, like, were super well-informed about the issue and passionate about it. And, like, you know, it made them be... It is, like, you're playing pretend, right? But, like, it, I wouldn't necessarily say it's satire because it's, like, you you believe in it when you're there, you know? And you also, because you're in a group with maybe 15 to 20 other students who are presenting different topics, you need to get well-versed in a lot of different things very quickly. And not only does it force you to confront your own political opinions, but you have to now at least be able to speak intelligently about things that you hadn't bothered to think about already. Mm. Something that wouldn't really affect a typical 16-year-old. Yeah. Now you have to have that in your wheelhouse or you're going to sound like an idiot when you get up to speak. Mm. So at the very least, it's 
presenting these different ideas and different topics that you wouldn't have thought about, making you evaluate them critically, not just saying, well, I don't like this because I don't agree with it and sit down. It's like, okay, give you have to have, which is something that I encounter today when I'm getting in political discussions with anybody is that a lot of people just have their opinion because that's the way it makes them feel. It's like, okay, well, why? Confront yourself with the actual details. You know, what specifically don't you like? What would you rather change? And that was things that you get confronted with at Mama Congress that I've continued to bring into my everyday life and discussions with people. To go off of that for mock trial, all of our teams had to play, you know, both sides. Right. And that was... It's just the best learning experience possible. They knew, you know, exactly what the other team was going to present because they had prepared for that. And the more we can do that in everyday life, I think uh, the better we'd all. <laughs> Seeing things from different perspectives. Yeah. yeah, every bill at Model Congress, there was it was never a perfect bill. You always could speak for or against it, talking about something, and it's like. Being able to see things from other people's perspectives is something that we could really all use in today's <laughs> political climate. Yeah, I think the one thing that I've always told my kids about Model Congress is that it's not as much about, like, I have an opinion on this one very broad issue and I'm just there to spout my opinion and just, like, you know, drop the mic or whatever. But it really, like, the idea that two people on opposing ends of the political spectrum could agree on a way to do something, it's really more about, like, how are you going to do things rather than what is your overarching opinion? Because really the, the former really leads to just a lot of like unproductive discussion right where in the fact of the matter we could all have these opinions on how we should feel about a certain thing and then just sit with that but it's another matter to talk about how to get things done um which you know if you have students who have that perspective on um the complicated issues in the world on the one hand it does make you know it feel a little less approachable just because you realize how difficult it is to really like you know mm. to, to approach a problem but on the other hand it really doesn't like create better informed citizens. I've always said that like the if there's ever like an overarching reason why I feel I'm, you know, it's duty bound to do a good job teaching is because it's at least in the US, is that like all of, almost all my kids are going to be able to vote one day, <laughs> which is terrifying to think about, but like if that is I care whether or not they learn Chinese, but I also care much more about how they vote and how engaged they are and, and how informed they are. And so, um that said though, I mean a lot of people will say that uh, the education of, you know, civics education is a classroom thing, right? Um, and yet, I don't know. I don't remember a lot of. I mean, we okay. all took AP US together. And we took we, we were the required in, in at the time. I think it's a it's gone. It's, but you had to take. Uh, you were mandated to take a class about the U.S. Constitution. Which, given that we had already had up U.S. history. The only time we didn't do U.S. history was freshman year of high school. And then second, sophomore year, we had half the year where you had We the People, which was a state-mandated, standardized class about the Constitution. And then you had an elective also about the U.S. And I don't... My class, I literally copied out the Constitution by hand. Yes, we did that too. Wow, that's what a waste of time. What a waste of time. So I can confirm that I learned (laughs) way more in Model Congress than I did. And then we did AP U.S. History after that, which, you know, I know the format of, like, Mm. the, the curriculum has changed, but I think that the in terms of civics education, like, I didn't learn anything in that We the People class that I also didn't already know from Model Congress. I was already doing Model Congress at that point. So I was like, yeah, I know how Congress works because I do it on Tuesday nights. So, mm. Yeah, I was definitely <laughs> one of those kids who um, really did not put a lot of time into history, civics, because it didn't spark interest, which I don't know if it's something to be said about 
the way it's taught or the material, because clearly the material was important to me because I loved Model Congress. But you're talking about things of classes that I was in with you, and I, it just came to me. I was like, oh, yeah, I did that. <laughs> that is how much of an impact it has made on my life. And um, clearly Model Congress, as we can continue to talk about innumerable stories and, you know, empowering stories and really powerful stories about how we go about our lives as adults is kind of so much more telling than a state-mandated course or curriculum on the Constitution, which, again, I can say "Mm, I know very little about, and I generally like to consider myself a mildly, you know, involved (laughs) citizen of, even in my apolitical sphere of North Country, New York. Um, But, oh, yeah. That big chart paper, you know, the big poster paper that you just rip off Uh, giant pieces. We literally had to write articles over and over again. I mean, like, I think a lot of people will look at something like Model Congress and be like, this is very difficult and maybe not accessible. I mean, I think our school, our class was a little bit different because it was like, you know, almost anyone who was anyone felt like this was a club they could join. But I mean, on the other hand, you could argue that Model Congress is hard. Um, and then on, if everyone has to be civically educated to some point, it's, you know, you have to kind of cater to that lowest common denominator, right? But at the same time, you know, we're all saying that, like, what we learned from Model Congress was much more rich than what we did in the classroom. How do we, how do you guys balance, you know, the difficulty of Model Congress? Like, how, because, you know, if in my dream scenario, like, every kid should be doing a debate club, right? Like, if we're saying that, like, this is what actually teaches you civics um, and political awareness, um, but at the same time, it's intimidating, right? Because the crux of Model Congress is being willing to stand up in front of people and talk. Um, And in a civics class, you could get away with just existing in class and copying down the Constitution (laughs) and getting an A, which, you know, from, uh, again, if you're a teacher and you're like, I have to teach kids civics and I have kids who, like, are really engaged, like you guys are, um, and I have kids who also like clearly don't want to be here well what's the lowest common denominator have them copy the constitution how do you balance that one of our history teachers actually does a full debate at the end of the year Mm. and i think that's amazing and um she's worked with our speech and debate head coach for numerous years to kind of follow the same format that we do um so i think that's incredible also wanted to shout out dok level four Mm. obviously we want that's the depth of knowledge goal for everybody and uh this is definitely you know copying constitution that'd be a level one (laughs) (laughs) and we want to hit that four so as i think to answer the question is as real of a challenge in real life we can make anything in the classroom the better but i think like rachel was kind of talking about this before at the beginning that like i wanted to do model congress like yeah my friends are doing it but also like the upperclassmen were doing it, i was like oh they're so cool like those are the kids who are like really good at school but, like but they were it was no one no one who did model congress that was like one of many things that they did mm. so i was like i might never get to hang out with this person because i don't do any of the other clubs that they do but they're like super cool and i want to like get to know them more and you know and it also gave me like not all my swimming friends or choir friends did model congress so i had like my model congress friends and stuff so i think that even though i when i first started as a freshman i was kind of like how like i don't know anything about writing like they're like oh like you said we're, you know we're gonna go in okay write a bill now and i was like what does that mean what does the format look like how do i get an idea like you know there was and then there was the presidents who would come around and be like well you could do it about this what about that and so it was hard but like i didn't feel like it was a huge barrier because there were a lot of people who did it who i would say wouldn't have considered themselves like you know the the top 
I don't know, didn't take all AP classes or anything like that, mm. but still did model Congress and, you know, weren't, like, left behind or anything, you know, so. Yeah, while we're here, like, why don't we talk a little bit about what drew what drew you guys into model Congress in the first place? Because it's, like, I think maybe you could say the same for other clubs. Maybe you couldn't, but, like, I don't think everyone in who did model Congress with us were political people. I think a lot of people have that impression that, like, it's a politics club. And so if you're into politics, then you do model Congress. But you don't have a 150-plus person large club with, you know, in Bradford, Connecticut with a whole bunch of, like, super politically engaged people. So what, like, brought you... I think for me as well, it was, like, seeing, like, older kids being like, wow, they're so cool. <laughs> Never underestimate the, the Plus value Plus you get to that. travel. The allure of travel. Yeah. Hindsight, <laughs> I can see this now, looking back on it. We went to a relatively small school, and like you touched on, some people got to go in eighth grade because there was a middle school teacher who was moderately involved but it was primarily people who were on his team, which is only a third of like the eighth grade community. And I wasn't on that team. So I saw my friends have this opportunity. And now it kind of seems a little bit intentional, which was creating hype in a way. And they did a really good job at it of like subversively creating hype in your friends who were on that and got to go to this one day thing. And you're like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I need to be a part of this too. What can I do to get myself involved? And then you get to the high school level and you're kind of this like yourself 2.0 in high school. And it, it was that tough jump where you just had to go for it because you were scared as anything. You saw these really cool kids and maybe siblings, older siblings, mm-hmm. and you just wanted to be that. And they created an environment like, which I don't, it was definitely crafted. This did not just happen spontaneously, that these group of teachers kind of figured out an under kind of network of ways to show you how awesome this was and then create it to be sustainable. And so it was totally buy-in. Like, you saw these kids, and they'd bring them around to you, too. Like, Mr. Patella would put you in a sphere of a senior who you would otherwise never see, and you'd be like, oh, my gosh. I am a chosen one. (laughs) This is something that I can be a part of. And like in a mentorship kind of way that really made it just accessible enough, but still feel like you're special. That was kind of the, the ebb and flow of wanting to feel cool, but also invited enough that you didn't have too much of a barrier to go for something that you might otherwise be totally overwhelmed with. I think the other thing was there wasn't anything else like it at, BHS. Mm. If you wanted to do some type of academic-esque club, Mm. Model Congress was the thing to do. Even if you wanted to travel, and I guess if you could sing, you could travel, but I couldn't sing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I didn't get to travel with that. Um, But this was the thing to do. Um, And I think, obviously, we've all had a great experience. It wasn't like we did it because it was like, oh, this is the only option. Um, But this this was kind of the thing. And I think also... Looking back, especially from the college application process, I mean, I wrote my college essay about Model Congress, and that was definitely the thing that I highlighted the most. And it stood out because there really wasn't anything like it to talk about or that would give you that same skill set that we've all been talking about in Mm -hmm. the same way. It was also a lot of fun. I mean, we were all people who like to argue by nature. <laughs> but I mean, here it is 10 years later. We're all still here. This isn't the first time we've seen each other. You know, we still have come, seen each other periodically through the last decade. Um, and we did make lasting friendships that were still here to come at nine in the morning the day after Thanksgiving to <laughs> record a podcast. <laughs> you know, it, the social aspect, the outlet for uh, uh, a targeted 
debate structure. Um, it was challenging, and you felt good when you made a nice speech. You know, you'd yeah. finish that after. I mean, I basically gave the first conference I went to. I was hooked. I remember my I was a freshman at Harvard, and I gave a speech in the full committee Oof. in front of like <laughs> three hundred kids. I was fourteen. I was like, I sat down and I just got like the adrenaline shakes, and I was like, Oh my yeah, god, yeah. this is amazing. <laughs> but also, I would say, like, I mean, obviously, there's like sports teams that are, you know well-known in the town but besides the choir program like choir slash theater i would say performing arts mm. in a general sense like model congress is probably the most well-known program in the high school like if you it's got to be the biggest club yeah if you come out and you're like oh yeah you know i do model congress like you know people will know what you're talking about in mm. town so it's like not that that's the only reason to do it but like it is kind of a thing you know <laughs> yeah yeah i can kind of tell you why i didn't do it though which would be sorry mr patella <laughs> i was not a huge fan of the typical construct of model congress like we've been talking about it bills committees that was not my jam and yet i still wanted to do it like be a lord like it was not because i felt so passionate about writing bills and being like a politician it was all the others and like that's important too because i definitely didn't do it because i liked writing bills and doing the other kind of traditional components to it there was so many other avenues for that and like i kind of found my niche and stuck with that and it wasn't the typical model congress but needless to say it was such an important experience that we all still share even if we kind of had our own by your senior year you had your thing whether it was you like to be in the judiciary committee or you liked this type you like d court or moot court and that was really cool too and that kind of was your niche aspect and like that's how you helped train the younger kids so the core concept of it wasn't even what brought me in and yet i'm still here and it was still so important to me on the opposite i saw all the pictures i saw patella i knew who everybody was but actually all those pictures scared (laughs) me to my core (laughs) and i was intimidated by all the cool upperclassmen in these pictures and even like the smartest of my peers who were definitely doing it freshman year you guys i couldn't bring myself to do it until junior year i'd been thinking about it and thinking about it um and it wasn't until i had patella in class for apus and he was like why haven't you been doing this Mm. and i was like oh you know i just um like i wasn't sure i didn't know all the logistics and i didn't know if i could afford like sometimes you took trips to california and i was like i just i don't know i think i made a bunch of excuses because i was scared and Mm. i wouldn't admit it back then but now as a teacher i tell kids let's go to Spain and, yes, live with a family and don't be scared about that (laughs) and pay, you know, ten times more. Um, So basically the moral of the story is if it scares you, you should 100% do it. You know, to a safety. <laughs> Safe. There's yes. a lot of memes about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but honestly, it's the best, best decision and like the best conversation. I can literally remember the conversation, me just standing there being like, oh, I guess I don't know why I haven't. And then I just did a few conferences. But again, the first speech you make, the first committee you're a part of, totally changes you forever. And that's how I feel about travel and language and all the things that I'm doing now. So just kind of like fit. And I was interested, you know, in the political process. 
But even outside the people in this room, I'm still friends with people from other schools. Yeah, One of my friends. H.B. Woodlawn. Yeah, right. H.B. <laughs> Woodlawn. Oh, my God. Love those people. And we played against Shout them out. in D We literally yeah, yeah. We played against them in D And we became like very, I mean, I'm still like follow them on social media. Mm. I see them. I keep up with them. One of my friends from my Environment Public Works Committee at Princeton, uh, I follow him on my beer app so I can see what he's drinking on the <laughs> Like, it's like, yeah, Aaron, all right, good job, 5,000 IPA, good for you, bro. <laughs> no, it is, that you do make lasting relationships with people from your school and people outside your school, and it is a, and a really cool experience that you don't get in other places. Even in the setting of, like, what would be peak academic competition, yeah, where you are either with a group of your best friends or with, there were schools that you were definitely allied with, and there were schools that you yeah, for whatever reason hated. were just vehemently opposed to and you wanted... I'm not going to shout out, but we, don't, yeah. we all we don't know, like we know who we're <laughs> We know who we're talking about, and those like still last with you, but there are some memories, even between where we would go to these conferences all the time you would get to know the college students who were chairing them because they may chair them several years in a row yeah. and there was a real cool thing where if you were doing the mock court situation uh, D court where you if you were kind of a top level team in the middle of the night someone would come knocking on your oh, door yeah. and would give situation. you the crisis situation and you were going to be the legal team that you know cracks the code and one totally. year they we had enough kids that, that went that Brantford had two different teams and by some fishy coincidence <laughs> Bramford team one went against Bramford team two and you got all of the information at like midnight yeah. and you presented at 7 a.m. you had no other knowledge about it and it's like you, a whole new case it was whole brand new case you worked before. like mad men overnight with your friends, you knew you'd be against your friends, and then you put your best suit on in the morning. Your best <laughs> pants suit or pencil skirt with your power blazer that made you feel great, and you walked into that room like you did totally. not know your best friend because this was it. And you... A battlefield. And it was, and in the heat, oh my gosh, I remember yelling at you, Geo, so strongly. <laughs> every fiber of my being. And then... At the end of it, walk out, have a couple more curse words, <laughs> and like, but no, and then we'd go to lunch and then talk about and every other great. aspect yeah. of how yeah. great of a friendship that we have, <laughs> where in one moment you can be so passionate about something and then leave and feel like stronger friends for it, you know? Totally. it Trial by fire. is so dynamic, and there's not really another place that you have that. Um, and again, I think that is also kudos to our advisors who yeah. created an environment where mm -hmm. that supported that and showed you the value of being able to disagree and then also saying, what did you learn from each other? Right. And also, please still leave here holding hands and being yeah. friends yeah. <laughs> and, like, going about your life, so... Yeah, one thing I noted, I just realized, I, I never even thought about, uh, even after three years of advising, I think one thing as a student that really draws you back is that you get to see your friends at their very best. Like, you know, it's one thing to be friends with someone and just hang out and do it and have fun or whatever, but like to see your friend, someone you care about, um, you know, really performing at their best. I'm sure this would also transfer over to like sports or really any other extracurricular, but it's like something, it's really cool to see someone who is your peer. Um, I just remember, yeah, that, that crisis case where yeah. it's Bradford B. Bradford, um, and seeing everyone, like, noses buried in their affidavits, um, case files until 3 a.m., <laughs> and it was just like, you got, you got to really live through that together. I don't know if there's a lot of experiences like that, um, where you, like, those relationships are really built through this, like, seeing everyone at their most excellent. You know, you really have a, a faith in each other that really, you wouldn't really get anywhere else. 
So the other thing I want to mention based off of this is that once you get outside of the classroom and you're fr- in front of an Ivy League college student, oh yeah, you want to impress that judge. What was the name of that judge? Aaron T. Fraser? ATF, Aaron T. Fraser, <laughs> and uh, J.P. Jacquet. Obviously. Sorry. And um, I don't know. You just... So whatever level of competition you thought was at your high school, once you go against other high schools and you see the upper echelon that it exists across the country, that just puts you on a whole new level. And also the adults in the room and every like there's so much there's a 100% total buy-in that mm. you cannot replicate in a classroom because you don't really want to impress your teacher as much as you do a complete stranger who is judging you. Um, the Honorable Aaron T. Frazier. Yeah. yeah welcomes you into your, your I literally have a picture of that picture in my classroom behind my desk. Oh, oh. that's so sweet. Nicole, you actually chaired at I Yale did. one yes. time or like or several times. I or? chaired one year and then I was on the board of Yale Model Congress wow. for another So that was year. more like logistics. That was more like logistics and running the conference. Yeah. How was that? Seeing that from that end. It was fun. Well, as we've talked about, our high school experience prepared us super well to be a chair, so I really didn't yeah. need to do the chair <laughs> training that I had on us. There um, was no geo in the room telling you the difference between a point and a No, no, no. no. Um, and then being on the board was also a really interesting experience to see how much goes into a conference oh, on yeah. that end and all of the preparations oh, yeah. and dealing with the different delegations and the bills that came in. My job was dealing with all of the bills oh, that I'm came so in. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And having to, like, make sure all the copies were printed and people had their packets yeah. and who sends their bill in late. Right. And, I never even thought about all that uh, logistic stuff. There's, right. That's uh, the other side of it. And also part of that is, you know, it's just college students who are running these conferences. Right. They're not all that much older than we were when we were doing this in high school. And they don't have a really like a professor advisor as much. Right? No, yeah. it's really just yeah. the it's like student even, run. I don't even think at Yale that you needed a professor to advise your student group. I yeah. don't think there was any professor mm. who was working with us at all. And you guys were doing this amidst like this was right before final it season. Was right as, before final season. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah so it was Holy crazy. Yeah, it wasn't a great <laughs> time. Um, Whoever started that ninety four? Shame on you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it was also right after the election, so, like, really terrible timing oh, yeah. for me yeah. in general. Oh, um, but it was super fun, and it was really nice to be able to see students who were enjoying the conference and having fun and getting to know people from other schools. I so. had no idea you were the person in charge of the bills. I just sent in my kids' bills every year. If Kids, if you're listening to this, this is the reason why you need to format your bills properly. Because, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's because otherwise it goes to Nicole. She has a really hard time about it. No, or this Nicole's was, equivalent. Yeah, <laughs> no. It was, this was the first year. I'm just complaining at this point, but this was the first year where, like, when my kids sent in the bills every year, the prior two years, I've like went in and reformatted them because I couldn't stand the idea of it. And this year, I had my kids do it, and I'm just like so nervous. I think they were also nervous as well, um, knowing again how much work goes into that, and knowing like, I mean. Even the little things, right? If you come in, and my kids knew this uh, even, you know, a couple years into the program, but, like, even if your bill looks bad on paper, that, like, speaks well. There's so little room for, like, oh, I can just get away with it. I can just wing it, right? And I think that's one thing that when Rachel would talk about, there seems to be, like, this, these stakes that exist within Model Congress. Because I think the one grape that both you and I have, Rachel, um, 
is it's really hard to get kids to do any work unless you tell them it's graded. Um, and that, that is like the only stakes. And then even within them, there's a way to like game the system, right? But with Model Congress, none of us, it wasn't a class at our school. No. It's a class it's at other schools. It's a class school. at some wow. schools. Yeah. yeah. So there's, and there's like certain, like, I, I know that there's some schools who are just like, you can only, you get an A if you win an award where I'm just like, I don't want to exist in that universe. Yeah, that's awful. That, I could not have taken that, that class. About no, I've done that class. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just like, man, how, I don't know. I mean, maybe they, I'm sure they have a reason for what they do, but I'm just like, how uncompelling would that have to be to be like, the only way I can get kids to perform at Model Congress is if I threaten them with a fa- with, with bad grades. But like, yeah, there's something about like extracurriculars. I think like, I don't know, I think there is still somewhat of a barrier to entry for like extracurriculars as a, as a vehicle for educating kids because again, like, I'm sure even within among us in this room, there are a bunch of kids who also did Model Congress once or twice and were just like not, you know, just scared. Yeah. You know, I know I've had kids who are like that, and that's very fair. It's not for everyone, but but it is for everyone. You know, like you said, Kylie, I mean, there is a space for, for you know, especially with special programs, which I think I'll, also for me, I found my niche in that is why I had so much fun doing uh, G-Court. Never was an attorney, and I was very happy that that was the case. <laughs> I think I want to say that all of us in this room did decor. We all did decor. We did. Yeah. yeah. And you were a press we secretary once too, weren't you? We were. I did together. We, we, did, did, we did press at Princeton, which was very funny because it was not actually press at Princeton. It was like three people, um, and then press the chair at, did not want to be there. No, <laughs> no. Yeah, like stuff like that happens. You yeah. Know? Um, no, and then I well the reason why I did press at, at Princeton was because I did press at Harvard, Harvard, and Harvard's press was like I actually met someone who I later went to Wolsey with at oh, Harvard. She, she went she went Vestillion. It was fine, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> not better. But yeah, stuff like that, I mean, it's just like I have a lot of respect for conferences, especially how much work it takes to pull it off. Nicole, I'm sure you know that firsthand, but like who really carve out spaces for all sorts of kids, right? Um, it's not just about like, oh, you know the issues and you want to be a politician. Um, but it's it's like if you have something, there's a space for everyone, right? And, and I think there's a lot of, you can really respect that. But I want to talk a little bit about decoys since we all tend to have that in common. Um, and it's just so different from, you know, political debate. But it is like decor is the equivalent of like mock trial yes and a lot of schools have mock trial and a lot of colleges like i would say like elite colleges most colleges have like a mock trial team so i think that if we had had that thing is like if there had been a mock trial club i think that like maybe that would have had some competition for model congress because oh, pretty yeah. much once you did decor yeah but once you did decor you were like i do not want to be a regular delegate because it's so it's it's more like intimate like it's smaller faster moving like you said there was that whole crisis situation whereas like mm-hmm. when you were going to the bigger conferences like you might go to like even in your committee you would have to like battle to speak because your committee would be like 50 people yeah and so you knew if you were like i mean if you like to talk like clearly we all do like you were like okay d court like i'm definitely if you're a witness if you're an attorney whatever you were gonna get to you were gonna get to participate and you were gonna like be able to make an impression and like if you cared about that sort of thing it was a better chance for you to win an award because <laughs> you were gonna, gonna get to speak more in front of the chairs and stuff so what did the d stand for district, district. district. oh district right yep, yep, yep. as opposed to supreme court which at most conferences is basically the equivalent of moot court yeah which is yes. which I, guys, did, I did that too. Yeah. Yeah. too yeah i did that yeah, yeah. you won you, first place at princeton twice, twice. <laughs> i went twice the first year with sergey we did awful which was great and then the second time with kia where we played Kaylin and Delrom because you couldn't come because of field hockey. Yes. And we, it was a, in the championship, it was Brantford versus Brantford again. Oh my gosh. And we all had swine flu. Every single person <laughs> yeah. had swine flu. I and I, I swear I've too. never had a more, like, 
poignant moment in my life where it was mind over matter, where the second they went, like, thank you, you can, you know, the defense rests or whatever, and I just felt a chill come over my whole body <laughs> as my fever hit me. I, I was like, you don't need this anymore. You're mine now. I mean, yeah, but, uh, yeah, the moot court was a lot of fun. That was We did do one conference that was just, we did Princeton moot court, like, mm-hmm. at Princeton, mm-hmm. right. which was, like, more traditional moot court, and then at Harvard, they had Supreme Court, which was moot court, and then they had D court, which was mock trial. And that was, I, as far as I know, the case that they used at D court is was the case that they would that you would have been using because it's like it's similar right. in high school mock trial. There's one case that you're arguing all year, and that was what they used. Whereas, so similar thing, like when we got there for D court, like that was the first time we were preparing yeah. that case. Whereas some of the other clubs, they also had a mock trial club, right. and so they were sending. But D court also had like three cases. Yes. We had to work three yeah, yeah. cases. We're in yeah. college mock trial. They do one, one for the yeah, whole the year. Whole time. Yeah. So I literally, if first of all, if I knew half as much of what my current students who do mock trial knew back then, I think it would have been a whole different story. But I remember being handed the packets. First of all, Patel made beautiful packets. Oh, yeah, I don't know where they got to be eco friendly, I would <laughs> say. But Does I he... mean, he did have like 0.01 margins on that single Maximum efficiency. Maximum efficiency. But where did he get them too. binded? He's this got a guy. question. Anyway. <laughs> I'm sure he'll feel that question next yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. I'll make sure to bring it up when I see him next time. This day. Um, I still have all the APUS color-coded books, by yeah, the way. Yeah, totally. Um, I remember sitting on the senior balcony with you guys just staring at the 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 packet just like what do I do with this what is this I don't even understand and it just took a while to kind of like switch gears and be like okay these are all the affidavits this is like what we're gonna have to you know sift through memorize and kind of like embody for this competition and it was a total different ball game the other thing I was gonna say is and I think this is a credit both to us and to Batella but no one taught us how to do D court. Right? No. Yeah. There was no that had no. done that in a really long time. Right. So we just got these materials and had to figure it out. And same right. thing with Damn. Supreme Court and Moot Court. No one had done that in a really long time, and we had to figure it out. Right. I will not forget. Um, so more, we've all been friends for varying amounts of time. Uh, Nicole and I go all the way back to like kindergarten, and um, it was our sophomore year. And again, if you've kind of gotten my tone at this point I didn't love the committee and I would do just about anything to get out of it and I remember what felt like begging Patella to say please can I do something that's not this and he's like I don't know because he had an algorithm he knew what worked and we I just didn't wasn't feeling it and I, and I said Hobbs and I, because we also started talking about each other with our last name. <laughs> at least Hobbs, at Mono Congress. Right, it was in Mono Congress. I was like, Hobbs and I, we can do this. He's like, well, we have our D court team. Well, there's a Supreme Court. We haven't, Brantford hasn't done this at Harvard. Uh, if you guys want to give it a try, a little bit lackluster from that department. And we were like, all right, we got this. And so me and my best friend worked tirelessly to do this. Not a single clue what it was. Patella didn't have a really good understanding of it because he just never sent kids to that aspect. Mm. We were teeny tiny little kids, and we again we got our our best blazers on, <laughs> and we walked in. And what we didn't know, and probably for good reason, because I would have been far more terrified, was that these people had either seen the cases and tried them before, and so the mock trial is just two people. You talk for thirty seconds, they talk, and you talk, and there's a back and forth, and you're looking in front of one college person. And and boy, did I not know what was going on. And 
Mr. Patel would always check in. How are you guys doing? What happened? What do you think? How are you feeling about this? And this was two seniors from a high school program that clearly did moot court a lot. Mm. And we had the less, so you kind of flipped a coin for the pro-con and I don't remember the case, but whatever it was, we didn't get the side we wanted. It was not what we thought was your winning side. And we just went for it. And we walked out of there feeling like, well, maybe I'll never do that again. <laughs> and lo and behold, we won. Mm. Like, this was the most mind-boggling thing. Where we were sitting there, we were like, well, we surely could have done better. And then it was like, and the honorable whoever, whoever um, says, Brantford. And Nicole and I look at each other like, one more time? And we walked out, and Patel's like, it's okay, you'll do better. I was like, no, we won't. We just won. And it was this whole new, and his eyes were just as shocked as our eyes. Oh, yeah. We had something going on here. And so I just remember going in with no idea of what we were up against, feeling so defeated, because I think we left because they had to deliberate or something. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. Yeah, 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 they would deliberate. Because yeah, you had time. we were also debating against two teams. Like, you would debate, and then teams would take a break, and they would be the judges. Yes. Right, and whatever yeah. it was, and so oh, we came back yeah, in with our... Harvard. At Harvard. Yeah, at Harvard. Whereas yeah. at Princeton, you were in front of college kids. Yes. There was still a college kid round, in the room. Your final round was nine. A full, a full Supreme, Supreme court. court of nine judges where you'd Oof. say, like, one sentence, and they would just constantly interrupt you with their questions. Yeah. Probably, yeah. I assume, how it is, really. I mean, not having tried a case from the Supreme Court. Yes, that, itself, is, but. that is how it was. <laughs> I mean, my first couple Supreme Court cases. Yeah. You know, actually, I remember we the same the same thing happened with our club there were just a few kids that were interested and we went to Yukon for like um just to like a workshop to learn how it was done by the end of that workshop I was like okay this sounds real tough <laughs> and um there weren't there weren't a lot of kids in that committee but I think the year prior like two kids had learned how to do it all on their own they walked out they were like I have no idea they I think they won something I don't really remember. I wasn't there, but it was intense because you had to come up with so many precedents for mm. trials that had already gone through. And um, what was yours on? Do you remember what it was? Not a clue. I don't remember because now I've done several so, of them, yeah. the Supreme Court and the two moot courts. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember I one. The one that I got in the finals in one second place. That one was about a woman who had a like a. God pin on her lapel. Oh my and God! Yes, yes. And it was yep. like, well, clearly this is a violation of her freedom of religion. I mean, how it yeah. was so cut and dry, and uh, the con, the the pro team won, yeah. which made sense because it was clearly a violation. But that one is also an interesting one because, like, decor is much more, you know, like kind of makes sense as just a general consumer of culture, right? Like, you watch, like, crime shows on TV, and you're like, okay, I have a basic idea of how, like, the justice system works. But what's interesting when you do moot court is, like, you're not arguing the facts. Like, you're arguing about the precedent Mm. and, like, the the law backing it up. So I think that that's, like, interesting for students, because it makes you think at, like, higher level, right? Because decor is more about, like, who's more convinced. It's more acting, really, Mm, which is why a lot of us liked it, because we were also doing performing (laughs) arts. But, like, it's, it's a lot more, like, can you make your witness convinced saying can you ask them the right questions whereas in Supreme Court and they would uh, they would always talk about this it would always be like a team that would come in and start to be like talk about the facts of the case and the judge would be like that's not we're not arguing that she killed him like mm-hmm. she did mm-hmm. so moving on so I think that like the higher level aspect of that one was interesting even though 
I mean, part of the reason we ended up, a lot of people ended up doing moot court was because Harvard was such a popular conference, mm. and mostly seniors did D court. Like, see, but they at least had priority for, right. for D court. So, like, if you were a junior and you went, you're like, okay, well, I could do this other thing, which is fun too. But I was just saying, like, from an educational perspective, I think that there's probably more value in the in the moot court structure in terms of like higher level thinking than in D court. Right, and moot court is something you actually do if you go to law school. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. You do D court too, but sure, yeah. sure, 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 sure. I mean, I wouldn't know any go to law school. Yeah. <laughs> and God. as we talked about briefly, like, the format is, you know, you have, I don't know if it's like 30 seconds or a minute to present your case, and then you have people starting to ask you questions. And in particular, at Princeton Moot Court, it's college students who go to Princeton who are <laughs> yeah. asking you these questions and trying, like, specifically trying to throw you off in your argument. And, and you're 17 and just trying right. to fight I mean, back. that's... that's takes a lot um, to be able to do that. And I mean, we we all went and we all did well at that conference, which I think speaks well to us and the training we had and also our advisors who prepared us to do that. Yeah, I think what's really interesting that we're saying all this, because I think a lot of adults, if they were to look at our 17, 18-year-old selves, and you'd be like, this is perfect training for a career in politics, right? You, this, this, the reason why you're building up these skills, public speaking skills, whatever, um, legal knowledge, constitutional knowledge, is because you all apparently are all going to be lawyers one day, right? And that obviously is not necessarily because we all talked about how um, the many aspects of Model Congress really shaped who we were. Um, but at the same time, there is a certain, like, nicheness to Model Congress, right? I think what's really interesting is that, like, and I think Patello would, this would be one of the selling points, one of the things he's really proud of is that, like, because Model Congress isn't as ubiquitous, the school Schools that tend to compete are like private schools. Yeah, like, there weren't a lot of like public schools. There weren't a lot of large public schools. Um, I feel like the term imposter syndrome was not really a thing when we were in high school, but definitely was when we were in college. Um, but it, despite that, it was definitely something that I know that I felt coming in, especially since that like we didn't have a ton of prep. Like I mean, for better or for worse, right? Yeah. Not as if we had like Patella was like an advisor, but he wasn't necessarily like coaching us. And so, yeah. like we said, you know, for better or for worse, a lot of what we did was you know we figured it out ourselves. But I don't know. I mean. I when I took my kids to the to their first conference, I knew coming in that it would that that imposter syndrome thing would come up because you know you feel like within our own bubble, like we are all the students or whatever, as far as person in the room, whatever. And then all of a sudden, you go to model congress and like, man, I am the dumbest person here. <laughs> I literally know nothing. All these kids are like, well, my kids will say they're all walking encyclopedias. I what am I supposed to do? Um, but nevertheless, I mean that's something that could really kill a, a person's interest and really anything be really discouraging and yet all of us kind of managed to get through that. I feel like it made you have a chip on your shoulder because I feel like I would come in and be like, well, you know, nothing against private schools. Like, people go to private schools for various reasons, but a lot of times we would be in there, we'd be the only public school in there, and a lot of people from the private schools would come in with these, oh, you go to public school, so that means you don't know anything or you're getting a bad education or something, and I was like, well, let me just win the award. Let me just win this gavel. (laughs) But I also think, I mean, this, like, I would say, you know, Brantford is a very privileged town and everything, so we have a lot of advantages. But I I will say that I think that some of the clubs, whether in a public or private school, probably like had a lot more funding than we like. I remember like like Rachel, you were saying like the trips are not like unsubstantial in cost. Like the cheapest one is probably two hundred maybe. Yeah. And that's the day one, I think. Yeah. And some of them are like six hundred or more. Right. Mm-hmm. And my parents were always pretty much like, Yeah, this is a great club, but like you want to go on these trips, like that's your money that pays for that. Yeah. You know? So the thing that was also like you were talking about stakes before, like I was always kinda like, Well, I paid to come to this conference, yeah. so <laughs> I'm not gonna pay to sit in a room and do nothing, you yeah. know? So 
That's true. Um, going back to the imposter syndrome, I think for whatever you plan to do in life, faking it until you yeah, make so it true. is, you know, my mantra. Because <laughs> <laughs> it seems like every week or every month something is thrown at me, and I'm like, how am I possibly going to pull this off, whether it's a trip or a club or a meeting or whatever it is? And I'm just like, there's no going back. You just have to kind of, like, go through and do whatever you have to do and it kind of prepped us to be able to do that in real mm. life and kind of have the um confidence to you know fake it i think we were also kind of instilled in each other and patella instilled in us where you also you would know you'd go into your committee and there would be that one guy or girl who had an air about them that was not welcoming that had a superiority complex yep. from whatever school that they went to whether it was what they were wearing or how they presented themselves you immediately were turned off to wanting to engage because isn't the whole part of this to be a committee and you're working together to you know get this bill off the table or, or whatever your goal was and we were always explicitly told don't be that guy yeah. be the person that people want to approach and right. want to talk about yeah. be the strongest most confident welcoming and including kind of person at the table that doesn't mean don't play your a game but you can play your a game and win awards and make allies and, and make allies yeah. right and yeah. like there it was very clear that whether it was don't play into the 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 private school complex of it all. Like you come from a public school, be proud of yourself for what you do. Show them who you are, which has nothing with regards to exactly what school you came from. But also be an ally, be someone that makes this a functional system. Which is why I think our club works so well. And when we kind of started this whole conversation on, we're adults now in the real world, and we have a hard time having conversations with other adults because they do still have that either elitism attitude or not wanting to hear the other side that was instilled very clearly that if you want to make it as a good member of society you need to one be open to those other aspects and two there is there is it is not mutually exclusive to be able to be firm and confident and to be a not nice person like those those don't have to go hand in hand and if that's not a life skill that you can keep using every single day Mm -hmm. and i think that even when some of us and it's also hard when you kind of when you get your groove on and you know you're winning awards you can kind of start towing into a place that may not be your your character and you get called out whether it was by your friends who were like hey man um, you're better than that. You don't want to be that guy, or by your advisor in that adult-like way of, you are better than that, and I've watched you be better. Don't start towing into a line of something that you don't want to be, which is humbling and it's like a really necessary thing to hear, and I think makes us all better people for it. And being on the other side of those adult conversations, being like, oh, I clearly remember being taught this as a teenager, and like not everyone gets that. Hey everyone, hope you enjoyed that episode of the Bad Chinese Teacher Podcast. This is just part one of a two-hour-long conversation, so to catch the second half of the episode, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts to know when that episode drops. If you haven't followed us on social media already, be sure to do so. We are at Bad Chinese Teacher on Instagram, at Bad Chinese Pod on Twitter, and search up Bad Chinese Teacher Podcast on Facebook. If you want to keep up with me, Patricia, as always, you can follow me on Instagram at Patricia Liu, on Twitter at Patricia SQ Liu, and you can read my latest writing at my blog, which is blog.patricialoo.net. All right, have a great start to your week and we'll see you next time.